We have big calendars by our desks where we physically write and have a different color for each case just so we know exactly what court hearing is happening when. Perry Stein covers the Justice Department and FBI for The Post. Lately, she's been busy following all the cases former President Trump is fighting in court. It's a lot to keep track of. And she shares her reporting in a weekly newsletter from The Post called The Trump Trials. Now we have the Supreme Court kind of tangentially involved in some of this. So we need to track when those hearings are and how they coincide with certain campaign schedules. Case in point, the New Hampshire primary is today. And Trump could take the stand in New York this week in a civil defamation case brought by the writer E. Jean Carroll. There is a lot going on. And what we're seeing already is Trump splitting his time between courtrooms and primary campaign stops. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Tuesday, January 23rd. Today, Perry gets us up to speed on the latest with Trump's criminal and civil court cases and explains what impact these could have on his run for president. Okay, so Perry, there's a lot going on with Trump's legal troubles, including a recent update in a civil case involving E. Jean Carroll. Can you just remind me what that case is about? Definitely. So the E. Jean Carroll case, actually, last year in a separate trial, Trump was already found to be liable for sexually abusing her and defaming her. So these were allegations that came to surface while he was president, but they date back decades ago in New York City. Eugene Carroll is a prominent New York writer, and she brought forth these allegations in her book. Now, what we're seeing this week is a second trial. So the judge has said, okay— you are already found to have been liable for sexually abusing her and to have defamed her. The second trial is about the comments that he made in 2019 and since then around the allegations. So what a jury has to decide is what, if anything, more he owes. He's appealed mm. this but has already um, been said that he has to pay her $5 million. So the question is, does he owe her more? not whether he defamed her or sexually abused her. So where do things stand right now? What are the latest updates in this case? So Trump was supposed to um, testify. He said he was going to testify on Monday. He showed up to court on Monday. His lawyer was there, but a juror was sick, and the judge sent the juror home, said to take a COVID test, and ultimately delayed the trial. He said he was... Push, um, pushing around, let's restart it on Tuesday. Trump said, hey, it's the primary. I want to be up in New Hampshire. And the judge ultimately said, okay, we're going to restart it on Wednesday. But um, late on Tuesday afternoon, the judge said, actually, the case is going to restart on Thursday. So if Trump does testify, it won't be before Thursday. Yeah. And so now I want to talk about about the criminal investigations, because those are very different than the E. Jean Carroll case, which is a civil matter. And the stakes 
feel different with these cases, and they're they're each about different things. There's involves hush money payments in one, classified documents, the the attack on the Capitol on January 6th, election interference, allegations of all of these things. So I would love for you to walk me through these four criminal cases, and, and let's start with the one related to the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. What are the charges Trump is facing? So, yeah, that is the federal D.C. case. And Trump faces four charges in this courthouse. And what those charges are all, are all around um, his alleged interference with official proceedings. So as we know, what was happening in the Capitol on January 6th was certifying the election results. And so that would be the official proceeding. And then there's mm-hmm. all, some of the charges relate to defrauding the American public and things like that. So it's all around the peaceful transition of power and if he did or did not break the law when he allegedly interrupted that transfer of power. And so how has Trump and his legal team responded to these charges and where do things stand there? Trump has pled not guilty. So he says he is innocent of these allegations. The interesting thing in this case is that he has appealed and said, they should not have charged me at all because of presidential immunity. Mm. I was acting as president and therefore I am immune from federal prosecution. So he has made that argument and, you know, the argument is It's a slippery slope. Presidents have to make tough decisions all the time. Um, They have to, you know, engage in warfare, things like that. And so you don't want to be charging a president for actions you didn't like that you think broke the law. But the question is, is did he act outside of his duties as president with this? And obviously the government is saying, you know, he was not acting as president with his actions around January 6th. Um, He needs to be held accountable for what he did. An appeals court is already hearing that. We're waiting on an appeals court decision, but it seems very likely that this will have to be settled by the Supreme Court. And so what what is the timeline? I mean, you mentioned the Supreme Court might eventually get involved in, in this claim, but when could this potentially go to trial? Yeah, so right now the judge in D.C. has scheduled it to start March 4th. But the whole entire case is frozen, so meaning the pretrial proceedings are not going along their scheduled timeline while the higher courts, meaning the appeals court and the Mm. Supreme Court, decide on this immunity question. So I don't want to predict anything, but if I were to bet, I, I would say it seems unlikely that it will start on the March 4th date. Yeah, keep your pen handy to remark your calendar there. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, Perry, that brings us to the other federal case, and that is about Trump's handling of classified documents. So tell me about that one. Remind us what that case was about, what charges Trump is facing there. Yeah, so this is about the mis- the potential mishandling of classified documents after he left office. And the allegations are that he brought classified materials, um, sensitive government materials from the White House to Mar-a-Lago, that's his Florida residence, after he left office. Trump has pled not guilty to all 40 counts. The government has argued that, you know, Trump knew that he had materials in his possession that he shouldn't have had. And he knew that because, you know, according to the indictment, they have gathered all this evidence of them trying to get back these materials and Trump ordering and getting his people, his workers, Walt Nada, who's his go-to co-defendant and others, 
to move them and hide them from the government officials who were going back to retrieve them. And and so do we also know what Trump's defense on that case will be? Yeah, this one's interesting, right? He can't claim the presidential immunity one here because Mm -hmm. he was not president at the time of these actions. So that's a big difference between the January 6th case and this one. We have seen him do all sorts of defenses. You know, again, he pled not guilty to all of these charges. In a recent filing, he revealed some of his potential defenses in this case. One of them was it seems that he wants to try to get more information about prosecutors' communication with the Biden administration to show that it was a politically motivated indictment. Um, He's made the argument in filings that there was some level of um, clearance that he retained post-presidency, and it's not unreasonable for him to think that he had access to some of these things. And no one is arguing that he should have been able to take them and store these sensitive government documents in Mar-a-Lago. But I think a lot of this case, as his as his lawyers have said in filings, like, is a state of mind. He was not trying to act as a criminal when he kept Mm. these documents. So let's turn to the criminal cases that are happening on the state level. So let's first talk about the case in New York, and that relates to hush money payments or alleged hush money payments to the adult film star Stormy Daniels. So Perry, remind us what Trump is charged with there and, and what's going on with that case. Yeah, that is that was the first indictment that came. And to your point, I mean, I think we had talked to people that had been calling this kind of a zombie case because it had been in the works for so long and it seemed kind of dead, but it really wasn't um, because these relate to alleged hush money payments in the 2016 presidential election. So allegedly he broke some campaign finance laws when he was allegedly, again, um, trying to pay off Stormy Daniels to cover up uh, an affair he had with her. And as to the charges, he has pled not guilty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Has a trial date been set for that one? So that one has, except it is totally in flux because they they scheduled it for March 25th. But you can't have the D.C. case and the New York case coinciding. So they're all kind of waiting to see what happens. I mean, we know the two judges in the D.C. and the New York case have communicated. The New York judge is going to check in with everyone to see when it makes sense to do it. But the judge has indicated that the date is in flux as they figure out how all the scheduling with all these cases works. Mm, Yeah. And then there is that final case in Georgia. That's another criminal case. It's the fourth one that I want to ask you about. Can you remind us what that case was about and where do things stand there? Yeah. This is another election obstruction case, but this is not federal. It is a state charge, so it specifically relates to his actions about the Georgia election. And was he part of this conspiracy with lots of other people to overturn the election results in Georgia? So he faces 13 charges there along with 18 other co-defendants. Wait, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, where do these 18 co-defendants stand? And does that tell us anything about where this could go? A handful of them have pled guilty in the case, um, meaning that they will not be going to trial because they have already said I'm guilty and they have struck deals with the prosecutors. So they know their punishment. They know their 
what happened so far. I mean, it's hard to say exactly what this uh, says for Trump, but, you know, as part of their agreements, a lot of them have said that they will testify truthfully. So Mm. if they have incriminating information against the former president, then um, they may have to speak to that. Trump has denied in Georgia and beyond any wrongful attempt to interfere with the election. That case is obviously just seemingly has a lot more moving parts than others just because well, there's eight. There's so many people. There are so many people. And uh, lately, I will say that case has gotten pretty messy. So one of the co-defendants in the case filed a motion and said, I want the entire case to be dismissed because of some what he presented as these vague allegations of an inappropriate relationship between Fonnie Willis, the top DA in Fulton County, and one of the lead prosecutors who she hired to help bring in to help lead this case. And they are saying that this was an improper um, use of taxpayer money. And all this kind of came to light because the prosecutor who she hired is going through these messy divorce proceedings. And so we're learning about this, a lot of this through divorce court. In fact, the estranged wife has actually asked for Fonnie Willis to testify in that case, but that has been put on pause until we get more information. But yeah, right now it's turned a bit messy. On February 15th, the judge in the Trump case um, has scheduled a hearing to look at these allegations and this motion to dismiss the case. So presumably at that hearing, you know, these allegations of this improper relationship and this improper use of taxpayer funds will have to be addressed. After the break, Perry explains the complications of trying to prosecute and convict a former president. We'll be right back. So, Perry, how will these court cases impact Trump's ability to campaign? Because some of these timelines are bound to overlap with each other. And then there are primary elections in different states coming up. And in March, there's Super Tuesday. Do you expect him to be spending a lot of time in court trying to get out of it? Will he try to be in court? What is your expectation here? I mean, the prosecutors are saying we indict important people all the time who have very busy schedules. We can't work around your presidential campaign. You are still a criminal defendant. Obviously, Trump's lawyers are saying, hey, it doesn't make sense to do this until after the presidential election. Mm. Um, And no judge has explicitly said like, hey, we think this should be held after the election. Um, That's not really what a judge's role, but they also have to deal with the four other criminal cases. So, I mean, the scheduling part, I know my colleagues and I have written a lot, just like what a jigsaw cluster Mm. this whole thing is. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But does he have to be in court? The answer is like when he's on trial, that's different. But for the pretrial proceedings, Trump generally does not have to be in court. But what's interesting is he has chosen to be there in a lot of time. So my understanding is that it is fairly unusual for a defendant to go to these appeal court hearings. But Trump went. So it seems that he thinks there's a political benefit for him to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's go to possible outcomes of this. If if he is convicted, could he go to prison? 
let's talk out some of the the possible outcomes here. If he is convicted, he can go to prison. The crimes that he has been charged with, many of them do carry the penalty of um, prison time. However, these are not crimes that guarantee prison time. I see. And, you know, talking to, you know, a lot of my colleagues and myself have been asking these questions like, how do you put a former president in prison, right? I mean, he retains his secret service. So there's no law that says once you're a former president and go to prison, you lose your secret service. So, you know, yes, he can. It is not a very practical thing for the former president to go to prison. Mm -hmm. And then what happens if he's elected while one or all of these cases are still going on? Does anything change there? This is complicated and it is a big question mark that I think a lot of people have. Two of the cases are federal cases. So hypothetically, if he's president and these cases aren't settled yet, meaning he hasn't it hasn't gone to the jury yet, he hasn't been convicted or acquitted, he does have in theory more authority, right? He can appoint an attorney general who then could possibly dismiss the cases and that would be the end of it. Now, we do know that from 2016, his first term, an attorney general doesn't necessarily do everything Trump wants him to do. So again, nothing is a slam dunk there. The state cases, I mean, again, this is just really unprecedented. I mean, in general, the DOJ has rules that you don't really charge a sitting president with a crime. And so what we're seeing right now in the New York case, right, is Trump being charged for crimes that he allegedly committed before he was president, and now he is not president. But what happens again if he becomes president again? And that's really um, uncharted territory. I mean, the president can't tell a governor to dismiss a case, but it does get more complicated and a bit unknown when you have a sitting president who is on trial in states. I mean, there's also, though, this effort in some states like Colorado and Maine to remove Trump from the ballot entirely because of his role in January 6th, which is related to some of the cases we've discussed. So, Perry, where, where where do those efforts stand in the legal system right now? Yeah, so that is based on a provision within the 14th Amendment that actually dates back to the Civil War era that said an insurrectionist cannot then go um, be on the ballot. And now Colorado and Maine, they are saying he was part of an insurrection. He cannot be on the ballot. Now, it's clear he was not charged or convicted with being part of an insurrection, but that actually is not contingent uh, based on many legal experts reading of the law that he has to actually be charged and convicted with any crime related to an insurrection. So, The Colorado Supreme Court disqualified him from their primary ballot because it has to deal with a federal election. Like Trump was able to appeal it to the Supreme Court and they are Hmm. hearing this case next next month. Maine has kind of paused to see what happens. So I think what the Supreme Court decides will be what sets what the rest of the states can do who want to do this. Mm hmm. So, Perry, in the coming weeks, as you are, you know, diligently keeping track of not just the trial dates as they come, if they come, but all of these pre-trial hearings and motions and sort of the minutia that most of us aren't paying attention to, what will be the main thing you are going to be watching out for in the coming weeks? 
Yeah, I mean, I am waiting to see how all these dates play out, um, both for personal and professional reasons. Uh, but there are just so many big question marks right now, right? The the Florida judge, right now that that trial scheduled for May, she has indicated like, I don't know how we are going to do this trial in May. Trump has said we need it to be delayed. And she seems to have been pretty sympathetic that is it even plausible to hit May with all these other trials, New York, D.C. coming before it. I'm waiting for the Supreme Court to, the appeals court and then the Supreme Court to rule on immunity so then we know Mm. what happens once this case is unfrozen in D.C. I mean, will that happen in March? And then once that happens, we'll know if New York happens. So it seems to be just a total domino effect. Once one case, we get more clarity on when it will happen, then we could get more from all of them. And we don't even know. Georgia hasn't even set a date. And there's lots of drama to, you know, when that trial will happen. Perry, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Harry Stein covers the Justice Department and FBI for The Post. She co-writes the Trump Trials newsletter with our colleague Devlin Barrett, and it comes out every Sunday. We have a link to subscribe in our show notes. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Sabi Robinson. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Lucy Perkins. And one more thing before we go, voters in New Hampshire are casting their ballots in the primary today. I won't tell you who I voted for, but I did vote Republican, and uh, I'm a Democrat, but I crossed over because there's one particular woman that I thought deserved to vote. I'll be voting for Nikki Haley because it terrifies me that Donald Trump might be up for nomination for the presidency. I think he's a criminal, I think he's a narcissist, and I think he wants to have a dictatorship. I just think Trump is the right guy. We, we need some help. We need, we need to get out of these wars, and we need to get, uh, get our country back. We need to get our oil production back. We need to do all those things, and, and I don't think we're going to be able to do that with, uh, with the Democrats. We're going to have a special episode of Post Reports recapping the results with our colleagues who've been on the ground in New Hampshire. So look for that in your feed in the wee hours of Wednesday morning. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.